as ever, very happy to be with you uh, for another instance and rendition of Near Perfect Pitch. In this case, we're talking about episode 33. Thanks for joining me. Uh, before I get into what you can uh, expect to get your ears around in the next three hours or so, I uh, just want to remind you of all of the coordinates uh, for the programme. Nearperfectpitch.com is the main portal where you'll be able to get all the links to anything and everything that, uh, that is reasonably important. Uh, the Facebook page, of course, is under the operating name. At Pitch is Twitter. At Pitch is Instagram. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on uh, Google Play, Podbean and TuneIn Radio. And I've uh, been informed this week that uh, I should be, in the next couple of weeks, uh, on SoundCloud as well, which is lovely, which uh, just expands uh, uh, the reach of the programme to hopefully more listeners. And if you do like the programme, as I always say in in my grovelling capacity, uh, please share, because I do this for Nout on a weekly basis. All the songs I play on my own, I procure all the interviews, and it's a one-man show, essentially. So uh, if it's shoddy in your your opinion, well, there's good reason for it, because... uh, I'm a family guy, got two kids, have a job. But uh, this is uh, this is my passion, as you can probably imagine, this and Liverpool Football Club. Uh, all that aside, let's talk about what you can expect. Uh, there's the usual um, obligatory fall off track. Uh, this week, uh, it's Marky Smith's uh, 60th birthday this week. So we're going to be playing uh, the usual track, but with a little bit of an edge because it's his birthday. Um, we've got our uh, cover version of the week, Cover Me, which is a very interesting uh, rendition of a Frankie uh, track, as done by Badly Drawn Boy. Uh, a couple of requests to attend to. We have got um, some Jazz Butcher forthcoming. We've got uh, some 808 State, some Portishead, some Curve, uh, some Vril Society, uh, relatively new stuff from Liverpool's uh, the Vril Society, uh, some Cud. What else we got here? Um, as I go down the list, oh yeah, some Undertones and uh, some Gene and uh, some The Music, some Shack as well. Uh, our feature album this week is uh, by uh, Matt Johnson's The The, uh, and I'll get into that in more detail as we as we near it uh, towards the second half of the programme. Uh, and interview-wise, ecstatic to uh, to have a chat to share with you at the end of the programme with uh, Ollie Knight of uh, Turin Breaks. Uh, wonderful chat with him this weekend, and... Uh, I'll be playing the interview in full, surrounded by a lot of lovely tunes, uh, courtesy of Turin Breaks. This week, we'll kick things off from this Bristol lot.
not an altogether bad way to get uh, the programme off and running this week. That's Curve with the extended, extended, extended mix of Feta Compli as mixed by Alan Mulder. And that is, of course, a beauty. And uh, we heard before that uh, Blue Aeroplanes from 1989 from the Beat Songs LP, their fifth LP uh, on Ensign Records. And that's the lead track off, off the record. Uh, and that's called Huh. They also have a compilation record uh, that goes by the same name of uh, Huh! Exclamation mark. I think next we're going to hear some Idlewild. Shut it! 
singing there about an indispensable pencil and that's the name of the song can't get enough of this record it's a compilation album of, uh, of all their work to date and it's called um young dumb and full of cabbage itunes google play usual digital caper um no physical product as far as i know um so do get your hands on that and uh, i've also got in the show notes uh, their Bandcamp page and all their soundcloud and facebook stuff uh, so in case you don't know and you're not familiar with the format of the program uh, i go to great lengths to um, articulate uh, all of the songs i play and any pertinent links that might be of interest or related to the songs that i'm playing so if you uh, retroactively want to look at stuff or you want to look at stuff as you're listening 
you can do that because you're listening posthumously, really, because it's uh, it's a podcast. We are not live. So there you have it. That was Cabbage. Before we had Cabbage, uh, Roddy Woomble and his uh, his Idlewild. Uh, that's the single version of Rose Ability on Food Records, and that was released in uh, in 2000. Seems like yesterday, but it was 2000. Here's some cud.
Tremendous stuff, Stevie Malkmus and uh, and Pavement, and that's from their uh, debut. And uh, let's rack my brain. When when was that released? Uh, Ninety two, I believe. Uh, uh, Slanted and Enchanted on uh, Big Cat Records, and uh, that's Trigger Cut, and that was also a a single. That was preceded by an absolute epic by uh, by the Undertones from their first record, and it was released um, in the spring of nineteen seventy nine. I remember it very very well, uh, and off their uh, debut. Uh, self-titled uh, LP as well, um, preceded by Magic, the Farsley remix of Magic by uh, by Cud. That's Carl Putnam, who is, uh, I'd have to say, borderline certifiable. That's from Leggy Mambo. That's their third record of uh, five studio LPs, and that's on Imaginary Records. And that was this week's hat trick. That was your three in a row. Um, I should mention to you that uh, there's a new feature this week that I'm rather happy about. What I've done, well, let's start again. If you listen to this programme with any degree of regularity, you'll know that I'm always chopping and changing, trying to come up with the format, right? Which, of course, is elusive because I keep changing it. Um, Anyway, so what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to uh, shorten the the essential wax feature without getting into immense detail. I'm just going to, instead of playing three tracks from a feature record, I'm going to play two. Uh, And then the the track that that frees up is going to be our Peel Session track of the week. Another feature for you. 
to enjoy and look forward to. And I can tell you that this week, uh, it's, a, it's an obscure-ish song by uh, the House of Love, but the Peel Session version is just absolutely stellar. Here's some Kingmaker.
Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, OMD. That's Tesla Girls from 1984 from uh, Junk Culture, which was their uh, fifth LP. And that's dedication to my daughter McKenna. And you know why you're a Tesla girl. And before that, uh, Kingmaker uh, with Hard Times for all my American friends and family. The less said about those shenanigans, uh, the better for the time being anyway. And uh, I think we're up to date, actually. Uh, I should remind you, if you want to hear a song, nearperfectpitch@gmail.com. Uh, there'll be uh, at least one request uh, coming up in the next little while. Um, staying in Liverpool, being that OMD are from that neck of the woods, we're going to hear the latest release by Liverpool's The Vril Society, uh, a song, a one-tracker called A Perfect Rhythm.
And that's going out to Dave, who resides where I reside, in Ottawa. Dave, you, sir, have impeccable taste. Medication, spiritualised. And before that, uh, The Real Society, a recent single from the end of last year, uh, entitled A Perfect Rhythm, and you can get that on their, uh, I think it's on their Bandcamp page. Um, I've played a lot of them in the past, and I shall continue to do so. And I do believe that there's a full length uh, coming out uh, end of spring, beginning of summer. I'm semi-reliably informed. Um, it's now time for the weekly obligatory fall oh, track. And this week, um, it's kind of a double celebration in that, of course, in itself, it's worth celebrating that we play a full song uh, each and every week. Uh, but this week marks the the week of the 60th birthday of, uh, of Marquis Smith. So happy birthday to you, you miserable bastard. And thank you for all the joy you've brought me over the years. We're going to hear a wacky track off an album that I just unwittingly keep uh, reverting to, Extricate on Cog Sinister, Black Monk Theme, Part 2. Yeah, 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 I've been waiting a long time I wanna make you, 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 you 
Settle down and let me 
No, you've not been sucked back in time through some black hole vortex to uh, AOL and CompuServe 25 years ago. Um, it's just that terrible modem sound that indicates to the avid listener that uh, it's, uh, it's Tinterweb time. That's all it means. And Tinterweb time is just a little feature uh, on a weekly basis whereby I share a website with you that I deem interesting by virtue of either being a frequent visitor, having happened upon it, just been referred to, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a wonderful site entitled vulgarpicture.com. And uh, if you're a Smiths fan, uh, that will uh, resonate quite handily with you. Um, not only is it beautifully presented, uh, using an, an immense amount of ridiculous flash and HTML here, it's a beautiful site, but it really has the most concise, comprehensive um, repository of all Smiths artwork. Uh, that includes not just the artwork per se, but uh, it includes uh, the vinyl, so any coloured discs or uh, or uh, special pressings, that type of stuff. So that's CD and vinyl both, and that uh, applies to the whole oeuvre of work uh, of, of, of the Smiths uh, and also pertains to all of Morrissey's work. Um, <laughs> reluctant, uh, reluctant to include any of Johnny Marr's work, which is a massive compendium. That's probably why they didn't do it, because uh, Johnny's pretty hard to keep track of. I don't think a day goes by without him putting something to tape. Anyway, I highly recommend it, and you can literally while away endless hours on this site, as I have done uh, while the wife's been watching HGTV and someone doing up a house for the umpteenth time. Um, wonderful site. Anyway, vulgarpicture.com. Segway-ish into a nice Smith song. This is for you, Doug, in BC.
Don't Tell Me was a single and also appeared on uh, their second LP entitled Mange 2. They've got uh, eight studio LPs to date, have uh, Blamange, uh, with uh, one released as recently as last year, if you can believe it, and uh, new material forthcoming this year as well, I'm led to believe. And that track was requested by Cindy in Boston. My thanks go to you for having a poptastic taste, Cindy. Thank you. And I think I forgot to mention, uh, as we went into uh, Tinterweb time, after having uh, heard a song that I didn't even label. It was the anthemic uh, Fighting Fit by Gene from their second LP, Drawn to the Deep End, from 1996. Uh, and that is on Polydor Records, Martin Rossiter and the gang. And of course, before that was a Blank Monk theme part two. Uh, that was our obligatory fall off track. We're exactly halfway through the musical output uh, of the programme, i.e. 15 songs in. Here's some Haven. <laughs> Talking about what you change 
Have you got a leg to stand on? Have you got a stick to call your own? Have you got a bed to hang on? Have you got a hood to wait and pain? Have you got a dread of nylon? Sir uh, Colin Newman uh, and his wire. That is uh, the latest, uh, not the latest, that's a song of Wire LP entitled uh, Silver Lead and that was released uh, this week and uh, I'm very, very happy that uh, he's got more output. Uh, you can just keep chucking them out twice a year. You can rely upon Colin Newman to put something out and uh, this is in keeping with his stellar standards uh, and uh, that's called an alibi. Before that, we heard Cornish popsters from uh, Between the Senses on Radiate uh, Virgin Records from uh, 2002. Uh, that's an album track and uh, also a single entitled Beautiful Thing. And in keeping with my uh, amnesia, which seems to be uh, coming to the fore uh, in this episode, I think I also forgot to mention that I played the Smiths. Only my favourite flipping band, isn't it? Um, and anyway, I played it last night. Uh, I dreamt somebody loved me. Uh, and uh, that is, of course, of Strange Ways, and that is the first song of the second side of the LP, track six on the CD. Coming up next, uh, staying in Manchester, let's stay there, being that we segued into it unwittingly. Um, here's something from uh, well, uh, an outfit called The Family Foundation. They released a record 
in uh, 93 called One Blood. And uh, it's all over the place, uh, featuring the likes of uh, XTC. Uh, They do feature on it. Craig Gannon, uh, ex-Smiths guitarist. But this particular uh, song has uh, some excerpts from a Terry Christian uh, interview with Johnny Rogan, who wrote a book about uh, the Smiths. So let's listen to this. And uh, I've not played this for a long, long, long time. Uh, And I've actually haven't heard it in its entirety uh, since the last time I played it on the radio. So uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. Johnny Rogan, author of uh, The Severed Alliance. Um, you actually cover quite a lot of Morrissey's life in your book. Did you actually find him to be racist in all your research? No, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that term, racist. I think Morrissey's xenophobic. But to call anybody a racist is a very strong thing to call anyone. And Morrissey's attitude to, to black people has been very positive because he always had a very liberal attitude towards black people, I found. Um, he also had kind of petty prejudices of his own, I think, because he's always lived in a, in a kind of fantasy world. And he's got a belief, he's, he's like a little Englander, and he's got his own fantasy vision of a little England, which always reminded me of Billy Lyre's world of ambrosia. And uh, that creates tricky situations because now with Morrissey in, on tour with the Union Jack flag and all the regalia that's surrounding him, All these things on their own mean very little. They're kind of very trivial indeed. But when you put them all together, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, and the image that is reflected from that jigsaw puzzle when it's a whole is something that people find, and rightly find, rather alarming. Jam session, Terry Christian, Craig Gannon, and the Family Foundation. Jam session, Terry Christian, Craig Gannon, and the Family Foundation. Touching down, touching down, in a raga in the dance combination. Talking about them ignorant man, talking about, talking, talking about them ignorant man who say, black and white man can't live together. Can't jam together. A pure nonsense, that man. Black and white man can't live together. Can't jam together. A pure nonsense, that man. Paraphernalia of the right, as he did with the, you know, falling out, you know, with the single suede head, uh, Asian rock, Bengalian platforms. Wouldn't you say that it does point a bit towards him being racist, or is it just to sell a few more records? Just to sell a few more records? Just to sell a few more records? It may be just to sell a few more records. It may be just to sell a few more records. It may be just to sell a few more records, but I'm not sure that it is. I used to think it was a working through in his own mind of what he saw at the time. You know, that maybe he did see prejudice within himself. Prejudice within himself. Prejudice within himself. said where does fashion end and fascism begin quite right that is the big question how far do you put it before mere controversy becomes something rather more sordid and in this case is the union jack the cut off point what does union jack mean 
in a time of ethnic cleansing, when we look at what's going on in the world, is it moral? Is it sound? Start floating around with the Union Jack. Will you tour Ireland with a Union Jack? Will you go in a gold fight with a Union Jack? It's a big symbol. Important symbol. It's not what you can around. No man or man with such influence over the youth then. You show them flirt with dangerous symbolism, dangerous symbolism, dangerous symbolism. It is a red hot situation, Lord. This is a red hot situation. Him no man. This is a red hot situation, Lord. This is a red hot situation. And if Morris is arrogant, he's a man who believes, I think, that he can control a lot of what's going on around him. I think I said in that letter that Morris may even feel be arrogant enough to believe that he can reclaim the Inkar Skinner movement, the Union Jack and everything else to use for his own satiric devices. I think it's Saturn. What he's doing. He's playing around. Is he that but smart? But he likes to play around. Yeah, but he, he, possibly he's not that smart. But he likes to play with fire. Because he gets him off. Is, is he that smart? He likes, he likes to play with fire. Is, is he that smart? He likes, he likes to play with fire. This is a red hot situation. Lord, this is a red hot situation. Him no man, this is a red hot situation. Lord, this is a red hot situation. This is a red hot situation. Lord, this is a red hot situation. Him no man, this is a red hot situation. Lord, this is a red hot situation. Na 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 na. Na 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 and he won't talk to the enemy. Why won't he talk to the enemy? Because he's afraid to? No. It's because he's insulted to the very fact that they even question what he does. And he believes, of course, that they did that just to sell a few more faith. Just to sell a few more faith. Just to sell a few more faith. And not sell a few more of his records. No, no, no. Now you tell me that isn't interesting. That's uh, Family Foundation, and that's a track harping back to 1983, and it came out on uh, what label did it come out on? Let's have a look here. 
I can't even make it out to be honest. Oh, 380. Yeah, 380 records. Um, and uh, the LP's called One Blood, and that's Terry Christian having a little chit-chat with uh, Johnny Rogan. Very poignant stuff, especially in light of what's happening in, uh, in the US of A um, currently. So... Where are we now? We're 19 songs in, and it's time for this week's cover version of the week. And this particular week, we're going to play something quite nifty. Um, I uh, came across this, I think it was about three or four years ago. Um, I don't listen to Dermot O'Leary's show, but uh, I know that uh, Damon Goff, a.k.a. Badly Drawn Boy, did a session and uh, did an absolutely superb rendition of uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's The Power of Love. And I'm going to play it for you right now. I, 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 I Feels like fire I'm so in love with you Dreams are like angels They keep bad at bay, bad at bay Love is the light Scaring darkness away I'm so in love with you Purge the soul Make love your goal The power of love A force from above Cleaning my soul On burnt desire, love with tongues of fire, purge the soul, make love your goal. Ooh. 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 I'll protect you. From the hooded claw Keep the vampires from your door When the chips are down I'll be around With my undying Death-defying love for you Envy will hurt itself Let yourself be beautiful Sparkling like flowers and pearls And pretty girls Love is like an energy Rushing and rushing inside of me Yeah The power of love A force from above Cleaning my soul Flame on burn desire Love with tongues of fire Purge the soul Make love your goal Your goal Dreams are like angels They keep bad at bay Love is the light Scaring darkness away I'm so in love with you, purge the soul Make love your goal The power of love, a 
force from above cleaning my soul flame on burn desire love with tongues of fire purge the soul make love your
the psychedelic furs from 1987 the unmistakable vocals of uh, Richard Butler and that is uh, Heartbreak Beat uh, a single and an album track of uh, Midnight to Midnight uh, their fifth studio album released on Columbia Records and before we heard Heartbreak Beat we heard The Power of Love as done by Damon Goff badly drawn boy for a session he did I'm thinking about three four years ago possibly even five with uh, Dermot uh, O'Leary uh, any road, before that, we had the Family Foundation as a reminder with that one blood. So we're two-thirds through the musical output uh, of the show, i.e. we've played uh, 20 songs. I use the word we a lot, uh, it's me, sitting here, doing it on my own. Um, you've got some great stuff to look forward to. Stay tuned uh, for the interview with Ollie Knight uh, of uh, Turin Breaks, which uh, will be at the end of the programme. All the interviews uh, on a weekly basis are housed at the end of uh, end of the show. We have one new release to get to before uh, the end of the programme as well, and I promise I'll get to it. I'll get to the, the, the Paperhead track uh, off their new LP, their fourth LP called Chew. They're a trio from Nashville. I'll be getting to that uh, in a little while. Uh, We've got our uh, weekly peel, our inaugural uh, weekly peel feature. We'll be hearing some House of Love imminently. We've got our album feature, which uh, this week is infected by the the. If you don't own it, uh, hopefully the two songs I'll play you will impel you to purchase said record. And then we'll round things off with uh, a load of Turin Breaks.
international caller on my line Tomorrow's just another distance But a call to a friend of mine Just to say hello
What a tune that is. That's the Jazz Butcher. That's from 1986's Distressed Gentlefolk, released on Glass Records. And that's Angels. Pat Fish, one of the most underrated songwriters of my generation. And uh, I think... If I can get my ducks in a row, I'll be chatting with him this weekend and be able to share the fruits of that on the next show with you, along with uh, a chat I'm going to be having with uh, The Hypnotics as well, uh, which will be happening this weekend and also uh, be featured on the next programme. I might just do a double a double shot, 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 shot of, uh, of uh, interviews next week. Um, the track prior, um, I don't think there were too many people on God's Green Earth that would have remixed, um, sort of mixed uh, 808 State with The Jazz Butcher. But uh, that takes me back to the, the good old days of dancing your, dancing your legs down to, to your knees at the Hacienda and, uh, and other clubs dotted all over the place. That's Cubic, that's the original version on ZTT Records from 1990. And that, of course, is 808 State. And prior to that, we heard on Columbia Records, we heard the Heartbreak Beat track by Psychedelic Furs. You're up to date, aren't you? Uh, it's now time for our inaugural Peel feature. It's our weekly peel, and this week I'm going to be playing you Into the Tunnel by The House of Love.
Peel session version of Into the Tunnel, that's House of Love, and the original version of that appears on the 1993 LP, An Audience with the Mind, which you can find on Fontana Records. Great stuff. So there, we're off with the flyer with our new feature, the weekly Peel, and uh, kicking it off with the House of Love. Shaq. Those that know me know that I'm a big fan of, uh, of Shaq, as I was uh, the Pale Fountains and anything that uh, Mick Head is involved with. I'm going to play you a song from uh, 2000 entitled Oscar, and it's uh, a non-album uh, single that uh, appeared between uh, the fantastic HMS Fable record and uh, their subsequent LP, Here's Tom with the Weather. So here's Oscar. Save all the money, get on that 
Yeah. 
that's the other with Out of the Blue, Into the Fire. And that is uh, a track off our featured album this week, which is The Other's second LP, entitled Infected. So what do we know about this record? Well, it was released in November 1986 on some bizarre records through a licensing deal with uh, Epic, which is uh, Sony Columbia. It was produced by... uh, ostensibly uh, worn livesy with uh, with Matt Johnson, but also aided and abetted by uh, Roly uh, uh, Mosiman and, uh, and Gary Langan. It yielded several singles. It yielded four singles. And uh, the singles included Heartland, uh, Infected, Slow Train to Dawn, and uh, Sweet Bird of Truth. The album itself uh, did do rather well. It stayed in the charts for uh, 30 weeks, which is an eternity, really. Uh, many, many, uh, many bands would give their eye teeth uh, to have anything in the charts for 30 weeks. It, it did only peak at number 14, but... Uh, cumulative album sales were very very healthy so we did hear a song a very popular one at that uh, entitled uh, out of the blue into the fire we're now going to hear heartland one of the four singles off the record
Never, ever gets old, does that. That's the the, that's Heartland from Infected. Their second LP nestled nicely between 1983's Soul Mining and 1989's Mind Bomb, the album concerned Infected, released in 1986. Hope you enjoyed those two tracks, and if you are uh, new to the the, I hope I've enlightened you sufficiently enough to uh, part with your cash and, and, and buy that particular record. Good on you if you do. And uh, I'd like to introduce myself. My name's Dara and I'm a I'm an amnesiac. Uh, I forgot to uh, go back past the uh, initial track by The The, which uh, was uh, Out of the Blue, Into the Fire, and uh, forgot to remind you that I did actually play that track by uh, The Paperhead uh, off their new and fourth record entitled um, Chew. Uh, and the song we heard was Adama de Lavanda. And that's out on uh, Trouble in Mind Records, if you are interested. I thought it was rather good. Uh, their first three records are equally as good as this fourth. And um, I only discovered them a couple of years ago, actually, a couple of albums into their career. Again, that uh, that was the paperhead that we heard. Two tracks by the The. Also, interestingly, about uh, the uh, infected record, uh, uh, Naina Cherry lends her vocals to um, Slow Train to Dawn. On, uh, on the LP. So uh, that's uh, uh, a kind of pricey, as I uh, get some sibilance going here on the, on the microphone. Uh, that's a nice wrap of uh, the there's infected. It's now time for me to get uh, excited, a la a kid in a candy store, Turin Breaks, and I'm going to be playing three songs starting with this. Smile 
king Staring at ceilings It doesn't really matter Very, very hard to confuse Turing Breaks with any other artist. Uh, the song that we just heard there was off the debut record, which was entitled uh, The Optimist LP, released in 2001 on Source Records. Uh, that's the third single uh, entitled Mind Over Money. Now, when I first heard this band, way back when, in 1999, when they released their, uh, their first single uh, entitled uh, The Door on anvil records before they moved to source records i was moved to the point of saying i must possess everything this band puts out uh, and i believe i've done a pretty good job over the course of time in in, in accruing material by, by this band 
Um, they have released in sequence 2001, The Optimist LP on Source Records, Ethersong in 2003, again on Source Records, Jack in a Box showed up in 2005 on Source, their last record for Source was Dark on Fire, which was released in 2007. Outbursts came out in 2010 on Cooking Vinyl Records, and on the same label, uh, We Were Here was released in 2013, and their latest record uh, that I've played tracks from in past shows, uh, also on Cooking Vinyl, uh, Lost Property, came out uh, last year. Two live albums they have to uh, to their collection, Live at the Palladium from 2005, and the Optimist Live uh, release, which was uh, put out in 2011. There's a great compilation record for you if you want to dip your toe in the water, bottled at source, the best of the source years, which will give you a very, very good overview of, uh, of the output of the band. Who are these wonderful people? Ollie Knights and Gail Parajanian have known each other for a long, long time. They're childhood friends, uh, and they put together the band way, way back when. Uh, also, long-term collaborators Rob Allen and Eddie Meyer have now made their way in as permanent fixtures into the band, and, and Rob Allen um, is also uh, the band's manager. Um, they've had a lot of chart success way back when with the, with the first records that they put out, uh, but they've developed and maintained a very, very healthy fan base and have been steady with their output, and they never, never disappoint, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to more material as it unfolds later this year there's going to be a lot of detail there that uh, that Ollie's going to impart uh, in the interview so I'm not going to go into massive detail because uh, just about all you need to know is going to be disclosed uh, uh, momentarily but before we do that we're going to hear another song the song we're going to hear now is from Ether Song uh, from 2003 a single and an album track Painkiller Summer Remix Yeah. 
phenomenal stuff. Turin Breaks from Ether's song. That is a song entitled Painkiller, Summer Remix. That's their sixth single and uh, the the second of this uh, particular record. It's time for the interview. Hi there. Is this Ollie? Yes, it is. Lovely to talk to you, Ollie. Thank you for for being on the end of the phone as planned. So Rob, Rob, (laughs) Rob was, yeah, Rob was telling the truth. Fantastic. So how are things and where are you? That's magic. That is superb. So you get them started early. Yeah, they, they, it's um, the old, the older daughter. She's, uh, she's about to turn twelve. She's um, a very keen drummer. Oh, fantastic! One of, one of the lucky few children who has access to a full professional drum kit, um, because uh, that's that's it's kind of like the Turing Brakes headquarters in my in my little studio. So. Um, she gets to use it all, which is great. Wonderful. So that is that is that the studio in Brixton? No, it's not actually. We we since that, I think we we let go of our little studio in Brixton in two thousand twelve. I think it was. Yeah. And set up um, set up one in in my actually in my garden. Believe it or not, I've got lucky. Luckily, I've got a fairly big garden and. Um, we, we, I, I had a little studio, I made a little studio, sort of built one basically out of, it's kind of like a, a lovely sort of wooden shack at the end of my garden. Nice. Uh, it's really nice, it's really great. It's, it's got everything we need in it. Well, did you have to go to the council and get planning permission for a backyard studio? Actually, no, because it, it's like a kit. It's this company that makes soundproof studios and they make them specifically to the the maximum size you can get away with without having to get council planning permission. So oh, that's brilliant. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's really clever. It's really clever. They, they they kind of prefabricate them on their site and literally bring them down and put them together like Lego. They're amazing. That's what I was going to ask, if they were prefab. It sounds sounds fantastic. Yeah, they're, 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 they are the, I think they're the future. I really do. <laughs> so what's just just out of curiosity, what's the, the company called, uh, Ollie? Yeah, just retooling and repurposing existing space. Um, exactly. It sounds like uh, yeah, their, their business took off. You do know because they've got cheering brakes on their CV now, but that's that's another story altogether. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might have helped a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, well, well first of all, you know, you're on a serious note, huge, huge congratulations on on. Well, it's not super new, but it's 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 the it's the latest record, the seventh. And I just wanted to uh, just uh, say I'm just amazed at your longevity and your commitment because uh, your peers starting out at the same time have sort of frittered away over the years and 
uh, made made token comebacks, but you've been consistently consistent. And as a fan, it's wonderful to have followed a band for as long as I have, and and, and not have the the material compromised in any way. So, me just personally, thank thank you very much because I look forward to every single album. I'm never disappointed. Oh, well, that's that's lovely to hear. That's exactly what I hope. Uh, hope at least the people that are sort of really into the band think like, you know, that, that it's, at least there's a bit of trust there that, you know, whatever you're going to get, it's going to be, it's hopefully going to be good, you know, good quality albums. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, I know it sounds kind of patronising and rudimentary, but it's, it's the furthest thing from the norm. Um, you, I mean, as, as a fan, you take a punt with a band uh, and, and you, you follow a band and, and there is a sort of an unwritten expectancy that, you're going to buy their records as long as they're making making the effort and putting out good music, and that that's often not the case. But uh, the, the first LP left an indelible mark with me, as did the first handful of singles. And I think if a band gets off to a head start like that, uh, and yeah. is, and is consistent, and I think you've also been helped, Ollie, by nice staggered releases. You know, you've not released a spate of albums in a five year uh, five year uh, time frame. You, you you've spaced them out quite nicely. Uh, yeah. Whether that's strategic or organic, I'm not sure. Um, it, it probably started out as strategic and then became just we we got so used to a particular kind of time frame yeah. that it's now very much part of the, the the system of the band. You know, we we I find it I find it really difficult to write and go on tour at the same time. Like I, I, some people seem to be able to do it, but I, I really like have to get into a different headspace when I'm writing. Yes. Um, that that has sort of forced these little slightly longer breaks between albums, especially if an album is done sort of fairly well and we're very busy promoting it. Um, it kind of does tend to mean that it, it's like like the writing process gets sort of pushed back slightly. Yeah. So that's always that you know it's always going to be a. a a good two years between albums, basically, because of that. Well, you've got a nice, you've got a nice template that you're comfortable with, so nothing's rushed, everything's done properly, and and, and I would hope that uh, with with Rob now now the full time manager, that would be a bit of a stress reliever as well. Yeah, I mean that's been that's been brilliant. You know, we we've um, we, we've kind of got into this place where having Rob sort of take care of, of that whole side of the band uh, is. Uh, it's just a godsend to be honest because he he has intimate kind of knowledge and access to what it is being what you know the, the reality of being in this band but yet he can also translate that and and kind of you know put his manager shoes on as well so it, it's so much easier than having had many managers in the past quite a few different managers really over the years that have just not quite understood kind of what makes the band tick. Well, that's and, uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's almost like it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very healthy mix of competency, empathy, and trust. And that's a rare one. <laughs> Someone who understands exactly yeah. what you're about. That's it. I mean, it's, all, it's totally those things. And tolerance as well, you know. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll, I'll add that too. It's got to have the patience of a saint to work with cheering breaks, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We're all grumpy old men these days, you know, and uh, it's like everyone's got their 
the way the way they want it to be or the way they need it to be. And uh, Rob, yeah, I mean, he has got the patience for the same. Sometimes I wonder how the hell he manages to put up with all of our odd requirements and how things need to be for things to work properly. But he does it brilliantly, you know, and, and that's the key. That's the key of holding a band together. You know, bands are they're just people and they have they're dysfunctional and odd, you know, and if you don't care, it's definitely going to fail at some point because the pressure just is, is crazy, you know. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's, it's great. So, so Rob's head must be swelling right now. Um, I wanted to, to talk about the sequence of, of, of the releases. Not really. It sounds like I'm some kind of uh, detective here, but you've kind of alternated between self-production and then bringing somebody in, but you broke with that trend with the last two records by, by working with Ali twice in a row. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, we, did, we sort of seemed to... It was, again, it was not really... You not really sit down and say, let's do a let's work with a producer and then do the complete opposite on the next one. It just bizarrely happened that way. Um, mm. Often, often uh, uh, before the last two records, for the first five albums, we, it, we, everything was sort of based on a reaction to the last album. So like we'd make an album, we'd experience, you know, we'd live it for two years, and then we'd come out with some conclusions, and often it was like, Right, let's not do that again. You know, let's do something, let's do this. So there was always this kind of knee-jerk reaction to the album before. And actually, over the years, I'd always craved a bit more consistency than that. And I used to look at bands like who I grew up with, like, I don't know, say Radiohead, who has worked with, say, Nigel Godrich. Yes, yes. Uh, many records in a row. And it clearly worked, you know. And I used to kind of be a bit jealous of that. Think, God, I would just so love us to have some sort of consistency in the production side of this whole thing, so so we could kind of develop a language and build on it rather than having to start again every single time. Hmm. Um, and with Ali, it just clicked. It, he he, it really clicked. He exactly the right kind of level of producer that, that really works with us because he's essentially just a really bloody good engineer yeah yeah uh, and it allows us to all produce the record together rather than having this kind of big wig big name dude that's going to come along and tell you how it's going to be uh which we always massively struggled with yes uh, because we never saw the line between being musicians and being producers to us, it was all the same. Yeah. You know, you you've got those sounds in your head, and you and you know you want to. You're a craftsman, you know, and you're there to you're there to make it work. And there's no reason why a good musician shouldn't also be kind of a decent engineer, stroke producer, because at the end of the day, it's just about your ears and what you think sounds right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So we we always found that a bit difficult to kind of like hold ourselves behind the line and just say, okay, on this album, we're just musicians, you know. Mm. And it was a difficult thing to do. So we, with Ali, it, it's just perfect. You know, he's almost like the fifth member, really, when we work with him. And we're, we're getting ready to do the third, the third album with him. Uh, uh -huh. I've... Right in the writing it now. Oh, fantastic. Well, you, you've, you've answered two of my questions in one fell swoop there. That's that's great stuff. So looking forward to that. And I wanted to ask you about um, 
uh, working at Rockfields, what uh, what that was like. Yeah, well, that, I mean, it's so good. We're, we're doing it again for this one. Um, Excellent. I mean, again, a bit like working with Ali has been a, this, this sort of very calming, consistent sort of click uh, moment for us. It's the same with that studio at Rockfield. It's just right. It's sort of, you know, it's out of London. It's, it's in Wales. It's very rural. But uh, so you do kind of get that feeling of sort of, being there just for this one purpose. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it's also just, just from a gear perspective, and the, the rooms there are very lovely to record in, they sound great, but um, the gear is all very, it's almost as if it kind of got frozen in time from, from the sort of late 70s. You are, um, you are gazumping all my questions, Ollie. I was going to say, it must be like, it must be like a, walking into the TARDIS. Yeah, because it sounds it could it could turn into it could turn into uh, with Mel and I version two quite quickly. Actually, very happy that there's new material coming. So you say you're writing right now. Um, yeah. I mean, t typically the process in the past, from from what I understand, I wasn't saying it was formatted uh, or formulated, but is it is it fair to say that the process has become more of a, a, a group uh, dynamic now? Yeah, um, it has. I mean, it still start. I, I still start off proceeding, you know, as the sort of main writer. I guess that's that's the bit that's never changed. There was always done it that way. But in the past, I, I I would have taken sort of ideas to just to Gail, and then we'd have, you know, we'd have, the two of us would have sort of gone through the whole process together and used various methods of the live band, almost like session musicians. So like we'd bring Robin for a few days to put down some beats, and then he'd go again. Yeah. And so there was there was this kind of very sealed off thing of the, of the duo sort of being sealed off from the rest of the band when it came to the, the writing. And that, I mean, that was just me and Gavin known each other forever and that's how during break started. But over the years, uh, the band, Ed and Rob, who were sort of the, the, the rhythm section of the band on a technical level, um, they just know so much now about 
also the kind of the ideas for the future. But it just seems bonkers not to not to start involving them. They're yeah. both fantastic musicians. They're really experienced. They've got a wealth of reference points that all add to this thing. And I think since we sort of opened the doors to more to them on the on, on the creative side of the band, it's gone from strength to strength. You know, they they they're more like A and R men than, than anything a lot of the time. So we'll 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 sort of audition ideas for them. You know, we'll yeah. find something out. And, and sometimes me and Gail won't be able to see the forest for the trees with something because we can get pretty confused about sort of what we're meant to be. And they often will have that perspective of well, actually, you you, you know, this is what you should be doing or that's what you should be doing. So they're fantastic at giving advice and bouncing ideas off. Um, and they're also just like I said, they're, they're just brilliant musicians. You know, they when we play together, it it creates something. It's like has a special magic about it, and um, we get to do that kind of a lot more often now in the in the current setup. That's brilliant, and and so yeah, essentially you've alluded to this, but you know they, they've got a very rare objectivity that they can add to the mix, whereby yourself and Galo are fully immersed in it, and it's very very subjective. So, if as I say, as we touched upon this before, if you've got the trust of people who understand the ethic and the the legacy and the dynamic, that's wonderful. And once you find it, you cling to it. And it's just, does the same apply to to, to Tom Spate, um, Ollie? Yeah, well, he's, a, he's an interesting one. We've never really clicked with anyone outside of our very carefully selected little group of muso mates, you know? Yeah. And, and Tom stuck out just as a, a young chap. He, he, he was on Twitter and he, and he was bugging me to do a writing session with him a few years ago. And I'll be honest, like... I, I, he, he kind of bugged me enough to the point where I gave in and said, okay, we'll do a writing session, you know. And I thought, deep down I was thinking, oh God, you know, what's this going to be like? I've never met this guy. And it wasn't one of those things that I was particularly relishing the idea of. But Tom kind of broke me down and kept kept getting getting me on Twitter until I then said, all right, yeah, let's, let's write this one together and see what happens. And... It, it, it just clicks in this lovely way. He's such a he's such an easy going guy. He's a fantastic co writer. So mm. he has this he brings in this ability of he almost has like this everyman ability to to kind of capture sort of easily understood kind of universal themes in a way that me and Gail I don't think we're as good at. I, I think we're much more uh, afraid of of kind of mass appeal. Right. Just, just as people. We've always been like that. And then the kind of music we listen to, you know, I wouldn't say we're snobbish, but we're we're aware of, how, of where the line of kind of, the, the dangerous line of kind of crossing over into just losing your art form to, to, to appeal to a larger audience. But Tom has this kind of great way of just sneaking us over that line sometimes without it being too too much of an ordeal. And actually what we found was the results were sometimes, not always, but sometimes 
really great, you know, and we'd, we'd end up loving things that we did with Tom um, much more than we ever would have expected to. So he's, the, he's, he's sort of like, kind of like um, someone who we really enjoy working with, and we, we write stuff for him, for his project, and sometimes, occasionally, it leaks back into the, the world of cheering breaks. And we've actually, we've, at the moment, we've got one song we're working on with him for the next cheering break album. Oh, great, great. So, so in, in terms of the a time frame, and no one's going to hold you to task here, of course, cause, but um, you, you, you say that uh, most of the writing is done. Um, in terms of most, what does that mean percentage-wise? Is, is it just about all written, or, or are you at the demo stage? Where are you at right now, Ollie? Yeah, well, uh, we, we've, got 11, we've got about 11 demos that are, that are not finished, but sort of like nearing some sort of completion. I can imagine them being done by the end of March. Oh, um, right. And we'll probably, I'll probably try and squeeze a few more songs in. So, like, we like to try and go into Rockfield with slightly more songs than we necessarily need, but not too many, because we, we um, the way we kind of do it now is I'll, I'll often write a load of material, and during the, during the first few weeks of kind of the beginnings of demos, sort of world that we get into, we'll almost audition all the songs and, and keep the ones that we as a group feel work for us all yeah. and get rid very quickly, jettison out the material that just isn't going to make it. So we, by the time we get to Rockfield, we've pretty much got the blueprint of the album. Like We've demoed it, we know what we're going to do, and it's been thoroughly worked through. You know, yes. uh, and that that means that we can go to Rockville for two weeks and get the whole thing done. Whereas in the old days, you know, you'd probably go into a mega expensive studio and you might spend like six weeks kind of doing things that really you could have been doing in a kind of more of a pre-production mentality. Yeah, um, you're not on the clock either, are you? Exactly. It's a different. It's a, it's a much lower budget way of working, but actually, I just think it's way better. You know, you end up with a stronger focused album at, uh, at the end of it. Yeah, and, and a whole lot less grey hair, I would imagine. Yeah, in a way, there is, yeah, it's true. You know, you're, you're, it's still a lot of pressure, but you're taking little bite-sized chunks out of the pressure yeah. all the time, yeah. rather, than, rather than being massively overawed by this, like, oh my God, we've got to make this album out of nothing in the next month, and how are we going to do it, you know? Yeah. Which is what it used to be like for yeah, it's, it's nice. This incremental way seems to be nice and methodical. Yeah, it is. And, and, and you know, the albums so far, the last two records, we, we feel really good about them. We think they're, they're some of the best things we've ever done. So it seems to work for us. Well, that's that's a wonderful thing. I mean, just, just being in your comfort zone is going to be conducive to the process. So uh, you, you're experiencing a, 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 a system and a process that people strive for that most never attain. So... That's yeah, that's it. I think that's you know that is that the lovely thing about sticking at it for as long as we have is eventually things do tend to click, and then then it's just about well, let's just keep going until until the car runs out of petrol. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a there's a, there's a lot in the tank uh, still still to still, still got a lot of miles to right. got a lot of miles left on that odometer. Um, I wanted to talk to you about because because in the beginning you you. You, you released the first the first record in a very limited capacity, so only a, a, a select uh, few people were lucky enough to get the first 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 release. 
But what happened, just, just briefly, because I know there'll, there'll be a story behind it, but I'm sh you were courted by several labels. Why did you choose, uh, why did you choose Source at the end of the day? Uh, it was all about the, the guy behind it, called yeah. Billy Patrick, who, okay. um, you know, at the end of the day, labels are great, but it's all about the personalities within them and who you're working with and how much you feel they truly support and believe in the project. Yes. And we, a lot of the time, you'll meet labels who are clearly there because other labels are interested, and that's why they're interested. Yes. And it was pretty easy to sort the wheat from the chat. And even though, I mean, it was amazing at the time. I think we had more than 10 labels trying to offer us deals. There were only really ever about two or three that we knew they really deeply got it. They, they It wasn't just about, oh, we better sign this band because they're hot right now and we need to. It was more, we want to sign this band because we think they are like, going to be the best, best, you know, the, the best band around for a couple of years because we, we truly love what they're doing and we truly get it. Uh, and so that was, Philippe was the kind of the icing on the cake. He really got it. He was desperate to sign us because he, he and, and, and actually what really nailed it was he was the only person that said, I don't want you to change anything. I just want you to do exactly what you're doing and I will do everything else. Wonderful. And that was, that was exactly what we wanted to hear, you know, which was a lot of people like, yeah, we reckon if we just got you with this drummer and this producer and blah, 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 and, and we're like, no, that's not the point. You know, that's not the point. The, the reason you wanted to sign us was because of that EP we put out, and why would you want to change it? Let's just let it grow in its own way. And Philippe was just like absolutely on the same um, wavelength with us. So we signed, well, I think we signed the deal on a Friday and by, by Monday after that weekend we were making the Optimus stuff. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great story. I, I didn't know the details of, 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 of what actually happened there. And uh, I mean, you, you were around at a time when there were labels who were trying to scoop up bands for no other reason than that they didn't want other labels to have them on their roster. And, and uh, you almost yeah. had to have a uh, a very finely tuned bullshit detector uh, when you were approached. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? And I'll be honest, we kind of didn't. I mean, we were so green. Yeah. We had no... We were kids, practically. You know, we were like 21, I think, at the time. Uh, we had no interest or desire to be, particularly to be working within the music industry. We just liked making this music. But we didn't even think we'd be making a record. It all happened very suddenly. So we could have been taken for a major ride. Yeah. But luckily, something, something, there was a wisdom within the two of us that was luck luckily it was there and we were able to kind of see through a lot of those things. But it so could have been a different story. I mean, it could have, if we'd have signed the wrong label, we, me and you would not be talking right now. No, know? no, I'm sure, I'm sure. And, and, that, that that makes it makes me smile because this this really is. I mean, your career path has been a bit obviously a, a mix of unmitigated talent, but uh, you've you've made you've made decisions and you've chose your path and you've been very uh, methodical and uh, thought out about it. And uh, you, you have to you have to you have to take a step back sometimes and pinch yourself that you've been doing what you love for so long. Oh yeah, we we do, and no, we we we're very aware of 
how who, I was saying it just the other day actually someone was saying you know do you feel successful and I said you know what to me successful is if I can if I can make a living and not nothing to do with being rich but if I can make a living and survive doing the thing I love doing a hundred percent of the time then that to me is total success that's all I've ever dreamed of you know I, when I went I, when I was a teenager I went to art school I had no idea I was going to be a professional musician but I knew I wanted to be able to earn a living being creative and doing something that I really love doing yes. that was the idea of success so yeah that you know to me when because some people kind of look at what we just oh it's a shame isn't it you guys were so big at the beginning and now you're just kind of doing okay and you're just doing what you do but it's not the same is it and I, I, it never hurts me that I did because I think, yeah, you know, we did have a, we did have sort of four or five huge years and very important years. You know, we, that's where our fan base came from. But I don't sit worrying about sort of um, the, the, you know, the lifestyle I don't have or anything like that because it's just so, um, it's so kind of like, exactly what I want to be doing, which is earning a living and, and doing, you know, it's like being a semi-professional golfer, or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's something about it that I really like. I really like that. I think, yeah, this is what we do. We have to tour this much to, to make a living and we have to sell this to make a living. And it's quite kind of um, honest, you know, and it, there's, there's very little bullshit uh, yeah. in the whole thing. And I think in the end, even though it's, a, you know, it's, it's not a, millions and millions of people around the world listening, There's, you know, to the, the, the few sort of thousands, tens of thousands of people that are listening, it's sort of this very pure thing, you know, and, and uh, there's, like I said, it hasn't been kind of um, twisted by sort of hugely commercial aspirations, which do tend to, in the end, destroy the, the art eventually. You know, it's very rare that, that yeah, I know there's an odd band that have managed to survive being huge for, for a very long time, but it's not many. No, I mean, it's it's it's, it's an anomaly if, if you do attain that status. It, uh, what, what you've done is, is, is admirable. And, and uh, I look, whenever I, whenever I talk to artists who've been lucky enough, um, there are many that uh, don't actually appreciate what they have. And, and that, that goes down to the, to the actual basics of appreciating that you've got a talent and then recognising it and then exploiting it and then doing things right to be able to share your gift with people. So... It, it's, it's lovely to see all, all, all the checkboxes with yourself and Gail and, and following your career. Um, you know, you're very, very uh, self-deprecating there, saying tens of thousands of fans. I mean, I know you've got more than that. But 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 what what I what I love about about the band is that whenever you are talking about music and and the, the name comes up, it's almost like an elite club membership to be a Cheering Breaks fan, to, to have been a fan from inception, and you. I've, I've, I've had lots of wonderful conversations over the years with complete strangers with the catalyst being Turing Breaks and, and, and the music and um, anyway my hat goes off to you and, and I've got a, a couple more questions for you because I could talk I could I could talk your legs off Ollie because there's, there's, there's lots lots more questions here but um, I've got a couple specific ones about um, uh, cover versions have you got any more planned because I mean you, you're not a stranger to the cover version are there, are there any that um, you might have in the... We're being... Um, somebody, a friend of ours was saying to us last night that... Do you remember this? I don't know if you were sort of aware of it. Do you remember the show Rent-A-Ghost? 
Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so one of our mates yesterday was trying to convince us very strongly that we should do a cover of the theme tune to Rentico. He was convinced that it would be a genius move. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that, but we have this kind of history of doing slightly odd covers. I think the one that's probably most well known to about is the, um, the Mary Poppins. Oh, Chim uh, Chim Chim, well, the Chim Chimney? Yeah, Chim Chimney, that's it. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, and, um, and, and, and so I, I think for us, generally speaking, we only like doing cover versions if we feel like it can surprise us. So like the Chim Chimney thing, we twisted it in this way. We, we were listening to it because, you know, this song's really kind of dark and magical and it's all about this like alternative life of the chimney sweep who, who's on these rooftops at night and sees the world in this completely different way to how everyone else down on the street level is seeing it. And it's actually, even though they're kind of, at, in some ways, at, at, the, at the lower end of society, they get to see this incredible magic happening at night. And we love that idea. Um, and we kind of tried to pull that kind of slightly nighttimey, creepy, weird kind of eerie magic out of that version. And it really kind of did it, and, and it really surprised people, and it kind of delighted people when they hear it. And so those are the kind of things we look for in a cover. Like, if we're going to do one, we've got to find a way to make it much more than just karaoke. You know? Absolutely. Um, so, and also, that's, that's something we've found out over the years. It's a bit like when you're doing radio or you're doing media, it's a bit of a default thing to ask a band to do a cover because it's a way of, it's a kind of cheap trick in a way, you know, and it's become this thing where you go and do a, a session for a radio show and they say, can we have two cheering break songs and a cover piece? And it's like this box picking exercise of you've always got to be doing covers. So, we, it's again, you know, we, we're not silly. We know we have to play these games in order to, to get some radio play and stuff. So, but we just, it's all about how can we make this kind of mean something, you know? So, we, that's another reason to always try and pick something that's a bit interesting. So, again, you know, hence why doing a cover of the theme tune of Rent a Ghost isn't such a crazy thing in our world after all. No, no. It's, it's, it, in, in, in a bizarre way, it makes intrinsic sense. It does. So, uh, on, on another bizarre note, uh, so, so you're not going to be doing an instrumental of the Baywatch theme by virtue of having uh, met his lordship all those years ago? <laughs> no, we tried, it was funny actually. He, um, he he kind of he hinted that he'd like to come come to a cheer and break show, but we didn't we didn't sort of like enough about it, so maybe we'll try again. We'll see if he still remembers who we are. Well, yeah, that that in itself is just just bizarre. It's bizarre enough. Just the encounter was 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 enough. I I I think that's. I think you can draw a line under that one. I I just want to ask you about um something that's close to my heart. I mean, growing up as a kid, I had very very diverse tastes. So I'd be listening to Sex Pistols, The Jam, but also listening to Rush at the same time. Um, right. And. And then this, you probably know where this is going, because uh, Terry Brown produced an awful lot of Rush material. Um, and uh, his brother, Phil, uh, I know that there's an affinity uh, in, in the past with some work with Phil. I just want to talk about the, this, this, the, the spirit of Talk Talk, because again, Talk Talk are a band to me that are uh, singularly unique uh, and a band that are immensely close to my heart. And you might find this odd, but I do find parallels between their work and yours. And, and to you as a subjective artist, you might find that hard. 
but but I, I what I mean by that is the is the beautiful intricacy of, of, of the songs and the multi-layered delivery but the aggregated result is simplistic and I know that sounds like an oxymoron but I hope that I hope you understand what I'm saying no, no, I, I totally get what you're saying uh, um, yeah no, that's an interesting one because I, I sort of see it myself as well but I don't think it's it's not it's not the most obvious thing so a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't that, have clocked that that's uh, it it's not blatant but I, but I think the reason that was what I, I got into talk talk funny enough I actually got into talk talk when I was a kid because my dad he, he was best friends with James Marsh who did all those all the covers yeah talk talk records and um, so I used to get given these uh, albums kind of samplers of talk talk because he'd, obviously he'd get the really early kind of like promo stuff from the label because his artwork was on it. So, so I'd be sitting there listening to like The Colour of Spring and Spirit of Eden and stuff when I was, you know, probably a bit young for it, really. Yeah, but yeah. Because it was in the house. So it became like this uh, thing that, that we listened to in the house. Uh, but I think as I got older, I kind of rediscovered Thoughts Off again, having sort of like forgotten all about them for a while. Uh, when we did our first album and we we rediscovered uh, Spirit of Eden. Wow. And, um, and it just, yeah, I mean, you know, it completely blew our minds. Yeah. And we, we were quite, back in those days, we were quite good mates with uh, Elbow. Oh, okay. We got good Garvey? Yeah, Gary Garvey. Um, and they, they were the same. They had, they had, they had completely rediscovered the same record and so there was this very shared affinity whenever we bumped into them at festivals and things, we'd always talk about that record. And I think all of our records since, every single one, <laughs> and every single elbow record since, you can kind of hear it, you know? You can kind of hear the link to that record. Uh, and actually, much more so in recent years, like there's, an, there's some on our last album called Brighter Than The Dark. Oh, yeah. Um, that is absolutely us. Us trying to be talk talk. You know, yeah, that but, is, that's pretty much what's going on there. Um, and we, yeah, we, we, we love, we absolutely love to talk. And, and working with Phil Brown, obviously, that was amazing because we got to, we got to talk about all sorts of shenanigans that they got up to during the making of that album. It was, it was completely fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure Phil, I'm sure Phil could write a, some, some nice memoirs about, about the sessions at, at the time there. And I tell you, I, I, I'm so glad that we talked about Talk Talk because to me, I, I've tried even with my muso and music friends to, to draw parallels and they can't see it. And I, and I, and I kept, I, anyway, I'm trying to, trying to prove to myself that I'm not crazy, that I can see, I can see these <laughs> underlying... You could just play them brighter than the dark, saying that, tell me that is influenced by Talk Talk. Yeah, maybe I'll just, I'll just grab them all by the ears and, and force them to listen to that song in, 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 in a closed room and then, then force them to answer some questions. Um <laughs> I've got to, I've got one last question for you that that's it, it, it's not remotely uh, to do with your with, with your l lovely and wonderful work. It's it's more of a personal thing and it's uh, hypothetical. I always ask uh, uh, the, the the people that I interview. Um, let's say you're around my place hypothetically. Uh, you're gigging in Canada. You're around my place and I stick the kettle on and uh, I bring out the magic biscuit tin, Ollie, and I say. Yeah. What's what? What are you going to plump for? If you can plump for any biscuit on God's green earth, what would you plump for? Oh, any biscuit. Any okay. biscuit. Um, I mean, 
blimey. Um, that is a very, that's a huge question. You know what I, uh, you know what I'd go for? Do you remember Viscount Mint Biscuit? Oh, the, oh, the Viscount, the Viscount, or the Viscount, whatever you want to pronounce it. The Viscount, yeah. Uh, if they were green and they they were in the gr- chocolate with like white mint. Yes, in the in the green foil, Ollie. In the green foil. Yep. Yeah. Hey, you know, you, you, I've forgotten about those Viscount biscuits. You, can, you know, it's amazing because you said it so hard. I don't think I've ever uh, received a, re- a reply from an artist saying, "Boom, custard cream." It, people say, "Oh man, that's such a hard question because biscuits are serious business." <laughs> They are serious. They say a lot about you. They do. Well, you will forever be... Uh, every time I listen to Turing Breaks, I'll be thinking of uh, Greenford Viscount Mint Biscuits. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I practically lived off them when I was a kid, so it's <laughs> a wonder I don't have diabetes. Okay, so, you, yeah, you're a diabetic talk-talk uh, listener at the age of at the age of 10. <laughs> <laughs> that, paints, that, paints, that paints quite a picture. Well, Ollie, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll, uh, I'll, drop, uh, I'll drop Rob a note uh, when... Uh, when uh, the uh, the podcast is up, so you can all refer to it. But in the meantime, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, and the very best of luck with uh, with with the next beauty. No worries. Thanks very much. Good to talk to you. All the best, Ollie. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Stellar stuff. Uh, my thanks go out to Ollie Knights. Thank you so much uh, for your time, your candour, and uh, for enlightening us and uh, letting us in to the wonderful world of Turin Breaks. And my thanks also go to uh, to Rob Allen for facilitating the interview. Uh, huge, huge thanks. I hope that uh, you now have uh, a lot more insight and that you have an appreciation for the band. And uh, I'm going to give uh, give it one last go to indoctrinate you if you already haven't been thus far. One last track from Turin Breaks before I wrap up this week's programme.
2005's Jack in a Box. That is Turin Breaks. And that's a song called Over and Over. And that is Over and Over for episode 33 of Near Perfect Pitch. Huge thanks to uh, to Ollie Knights. And uh, I'll be back next week with a bit of banter with uh, Pat Fish from Jazz Butcher and hopefully uh, uh, a chit-chat with Ray from uh, The Hypnotics as well. Do spread the word. I love to share music and I hope you do the same. And uh, I hope to, on that note, all the very best. And I'll be back next week. ta